Greetings, Sci-Fi Universe. Owen Cotter here. Join me, your host, as we discuss all things geek chic and out of this world on Sci-Fiction Radio, your galactic transmission portal to all things science fiction and beyond. talking with comic book writer and comic historian Scott Tipton. Sit tight while Scott joins us here briefly. Scott, you there? How you doing? Doing good, man. Welcome to the show. How's it going with you tonight? Uh, good. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're most welcome, man. That's great to hear. Well, uh, let's get the show started here. For the listeners, can you uh, introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit about the things you do and so forth? Oh, sure. Um, my name is Scott Tipton. I am a writer primarily of comic books. I've been writing uh, Star Trek, Doctor Who, Angel, a little bit of Archie books here and there for about eight years now. And I'm also a comic book retailer. I own Blast Off Comics in North Hollywood, California. Oh, wow. So you, you said you you write for Star Trek. Are, are those uh, next-gen original series? And I have a follow-up I've written question. For, after. I've written for just about everything across the board. I've done some Next Generation done some classic, did some Deep Space Nine. Um, I've been, uh, most people probably recognize my name from the, the bigger jobs I've got in the last couple of years. Like I did the Star Trek Doctor Who crossover two years ago. And I'm about to start working on the Star Trek Planet of the Apes crossover. Oh, wow. They're going to do, I remember that crossover for Doctor Who. They're going to do a Planet of the Apes. Wow. Starts in December. Wow. So that was a few questions. I've never gotten a chance to read the uh, Doctor Who Star, Star Trek crossover, but I have seen some images. Uh, is I, I have not seen yet, though. I think I saw one with Matt Smith in the Next Generation era, but have, yes. have they done it, any it was, other Doctors? No, it was a Next Generation, and Doctor Who was the mandate, and, and the Matt Smith Doctor was the mandate from CBS and the BBC and IDW. Those are the ones they wanted us to focus on. Although we did get to have a brief flashback issue with a, a, a short Captain Kirk and Fourth Doctor Tom Baker adventure, which was fun. Oh, cool. Was that the one with the cover where uh, Kirk's being grabbed like the Cyberman? He's like, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. That was that was from uh, J.K. Woodward. Dude. I love that cover. Yeah, that is fantastic. It's almost like Doctor Who is the board coming in there. Yeah. Uh, you you work with IDW now. For people that aren't really familiar with IDW, can you tell like a little bit about the company and what kinds of things they produce and so forth in the comic world? IDW is, um, depending on the month you see, the fourth or fifth largest comic book publisher. I think maybe third once or twice, usually fourth or fifth. It's uh, Primarily, they, they have a good mix of licensed products, like they do uh, Star Trek, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Ninja Turtles, X-Files, Transformers, and G.I. Joe, along with a nice mix of original creator-owned projects like Joe Hill's Lock and Key, and mm-hmm. one of the best publishers of historical material. Between um, Scott Dunbeer's Artist Editions, which reproduced the original art for classic comics from like the the last the entire history of the comic book um, industry, and also the sub imprint Dean Mullaney's Library of American Comics, which collects amazing hardcover books of new scripts from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Oh wow! Wow, so, so IDW so like, is a great place to be if you like any kind of comics because they 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 do a little bit of everything and they do it all well. Well, that's really that's really cool. There's a question I was going to ask you. I guess let's go ahead and ask you. Well, when you talk about a preservation or like archiving of comics, um, like antique comics and stuff like that, 
what do you see like the future of antique comics? Like, you know, you've got this new recent Superman comic that sold probably like three million dollars. Right. And uh yeah, and you've got all these comics that like even like the old older ones, like like you said, the thirties getting more older as time passes. What exactly do you see like the future of antique comics becoming based on the rarity and like what are your opinions of some of the kind of like you said, archiving like type things like in the future where people will kind of like enjoy you know the knowledge and the characters of all the comics of the days past. Well, it's it's kind of like it's too really two different issues in terms of like archiving the mm. content and the value of the vintage books themselves. Um, the, the the nice thing is um, between companies like IDW and Marvel and DC have been good about this as well. All of that mm. material has been collected over the years in hardcovers and trades. So I mean, if you want to find um, the, some Captain America comics from 1940s to read. You can find a nice hardcover book. You know, you're probably not able to find all of them, but there's a lot of that content is available, and more and more is it is becoming available every year. So uh, that's that's a good thing as far as for people like me who enjoy just the the reading and then studying of that material. But in terms of the value of the collectibles, that's just gonna that's something that's going to continue because. The value of books from the 40s and, and 30s, 40s, and 50s, and also from the 60s and 70s, comes from the fact that you know it's all about supply and demand. The reason the comics in the 40s are so rare is because there were so many paper drives during World War II. So many of those comics were recycled, so there aren't many of them around. And people are even you know, even even with the advent of digital and the advent of of of, of archive material. People will always want that original piece of history, that, that comic book from 1938 that sat on the shelf, or that one from 1961, the first appearance of Fantastic Four, or from the right. 70s, the first appearance of Wolverine. Those, those kind of books are, never, are, are always going to be uh, books that are, are, are highly favored. Right, right. I agree with you on that. And I was just curious, like for people that don't know much about the history of it, like if they only read like modern or graphic novels, can you kind of give like an explanation for instance like what golden age comics compared to like silver age and what the timeline they fit into historically and so forth oh sure i mean people generally talk about um about the history of comics and they'll break them up into like three three roughly periods three or four and mm-hmm. uh no one really has such a specific point as to where they begin and where they end for the most part but everyone kind of agrees on a rough period the golden age of comics tends to agree to when they were the comic books were in their infancy that's like 1938 Usually, most people market with the first appearance of Superman in Action Comics number one in June 1938, and that that's the period where Superman was first introduced, Batman, Wonder Woman, the, the Justice Society, Green Lantern, Hawkman, and that's also when you had appearance like Captain America from from Timely Comics, the progenitor to Marvel, and kept the original Captain Marvel, the Shazam characters from Fawcett, which for years outsold anything else on the Marvel newsstand. That period runs from the 30 from the 38. Until about the the uh, mid fifties, most people put that that the end of the golden age towards the mid fifties. Most people marked the silver age to be uh, nineteen fifty six for the first appearance of the Flash, or some some say it's a Marvel thing that the silver age really began with the the first appearance of the Fantastic Four in nineteen sixty one, when Marvel first really became a presence uh, um, in the comic book business. Wow, and the, in the so, Silver so, Age, what we had was um, kind of a renaissance of the superheroes. Superheroes had fallen out of favor by the fifties, and mm-hmm. other things like westerns and romance and sci-fi and crime all became much more popular. With the Silver Age, mm-hmm. the superheroes really came to the forefront again, thanks primarily to both Marvel and to DC's rejuvenating their line 
with a new Flash, a new Green Lantern, the new Justice League. Right, right. As you mentioned, sci-fi comics. I know we talked about Star Trek and Doctor Who. Uh, I read a, I found a copy of this book recently. It's a Simon and Kirby collection of science fiction books. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really interesting book. I was like, do you know of any other, whether it was in that era or before? I know you've got like, stuff like Flash Gordon, but is there any other like sci-fi stuff that fits that kind of genre that you'd recommend or uh, stuff you've come across recently owning the comic with the store and everything? or Oh, for sure. I mean, the thing to remember is in the 40s and 50s, superheroes were just one piece of a much larger publishing business for comics. So there were comics of all kinds always in the racks. There were, there were always romance comics. There were always Western comics. Mm-hmm. There were always science fiction comics. Probably the most famous and the most um, sought-after science fiction comics tend to be the, um, the stuff from EC from the 50s, books like Weird Science mm-hmm. and Shock Suspense Stories and Twisted Tales, which would often have science fiction stories, so kind of mixed with a little bit of horror. But those weird science mm-hmm. theory, uh, comics would often like adapt works of like Ray Bradbury in them. And those are kind of like, if you're looking for really great um, science fiction comics from, from the Golden and Silver Ages, the EC stuff is the way to go. And again, those are available in hardcovers, collections. So you, can, you, you can read them without sinking, without sinking your life savings into buying back issues. Okay, cool. So that's kind of like the pulp era, I guess you mean, like back in like the old old days. That would have been that would have been like late forties, early fifties would be the EC stuff. Mm, very the interesting. Pulp, very the, the notion of pulp tends to to refer more to like the magazine period of the thirties when you had characters like the Shadow that were available in in these in what were called pulp magazines because of the 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 poor quality of the of the paper and the print. But those were primarily right. um prose prose stories, not not so much comics. Right, right. You mentioned The Shadow. I'm just curious. I remember they made a movie years ago, like in the early 90s, with Adam Baldwin. Just curious, like, what's your thoughts about, like, you got all these uh, various movies and TV shows that are created these days based around the many iconic characters in all the comics. What are your opinions on, like, like that and how it's, you know, becoming more and more popular and they just keep adapting? Like, what are your opinions on these, these newer shows and, like, this movie franchise whole pad going on right now with all the stuff? Well, first off, the the Alec Baldwin Shadow movie is really underrated. <laughs> That's a great film. I love that movie, it and is, it's yeah. also very faithful to the to the to the, uh, to the material. I think I think it gets kind of a bum rap because there was a there's kind of a humor to it that I think people weren't used to in like a big action movie at the time. And also, it, I mean, period pieces often find have a little more trouble finding an audience. Same reason the, the mm-hmm. Rocketeer I think didn't do well, which is another just absolutely fantastic comic book adaptation that's also a great movie that not many people saw. Excellent movie. Yeah. But in a larger sense, I mean, um, the more, I mean, the most important thing to me is if the movies are good. And we're kind of in a golden period now where there are more good comics adaptations being made into films and television than ever before. Huh. And for years, people would ask me, well, well what happens? How are you seeing more and more of these comic book movies? Do you think it's going to continue? And I, my, my answer used to always be, well, it'll last until the first really bad one, and then that'll end the fad. I think we're kind of past the fad now. I think moviegoers are kind of accepting comic book movies as just another kind of story you can tell. And one bad one is not going to make people stop going. And, you know, I mean, the fact the fact that um, uh, a certain movie isn't that good is not going to stop anybody from going to see Avengers three or Avengers two. So I think they're here to stay now. And you know, as long as the the quality is good, which they overwhelmingly have been in the last few years, it's hard to complain about that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you look at the advancement of the CGI and technology. Like, I think the CGI just started kicking in right about the time, the shadow, and, like, the Rocketeer was more uh, right on that cusp of optical and CGI, but I think it was more optical. It was mostly uh, optical, yeah. Yeah, yeah optical. The Rocketeer the really suffer, suffered from being in a whole, in, in just uh, a summer so packed with giant blockbuster movies that got completely mm-hmm. overlooked. That was the biggest thing against it. But I think you are right, right. in terms of how the advent of CGI – not that CGI is ever a cure-all or a, a, uh-huh. a solution to making better movies, but it allowed you to make these movies. You couldn't do a Spider-Man movie in the 70s because there was just no way uh-huh. to really get across the acrobatics of the web-slinging in such a way that it seemed real. Right. So Spider-Man right. could never have happened until CGI. Same with same – with, um, same like you could never do a, a a Fantastic Four film or an X Men film until you can adapt these characters like the Human Torch that you just really couldn't realistically do or the, or Reed Richards in with with traditional special effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just agree with you on that. I mean, the uh, the Rocketeer and the Shadow were like, and there was another one. Oh man, in that same area, it was called uh, it was with the uh, actor Billy's uh, Zane. Oh, the uh, Phantom. The Phantom, the Phantom also very, very underrated. I love the Phantom. And that's kind of similar where it was a period piece. It was tongue-in-cheek. Mm-hmm. But there was, that was a combination that it was a packed, it was a packed uh, summer for that movie for, for blockbusters. And also I think the Phantom suffered from one of the worst ad campaigns I can ever remember for a film. <laughs> I think the slogan was Slam Evil, which – what is that? <laughs> I mean you've got this beautiful almost Raiders of Lost Ark style adventure story. And they gave it this kind of really cheesy X Games extreme sort of slogan, and no one knew what it was, and so everyone ignored it, which is a shame because that movie yeah, was great. I'm, yeah, I remember that film coming out, and I remember they had those crazy commercials on popping up all the photos. It was a great movie, though. It was a really good movie. It was really, really, really good movie. So, but uh, I'm curious, uh, you're a historian on comics. I just was curious if you knew like any comic that it could be now or perfectly like the original stuff back like in the golden age, like they were outside the U.S. produced that were some of the first comics to gain like popularity created by other countries other than like D.C. and Timely and Marvel and all that. Um, it's funny. Um, in other countries, comics are mm-hmm. much more widespread popular among among the general population. You'll go to, you'll go to, to, to be on a subway train in Japan mm-hmm. – and you'll see businessmen reading comic books on the train, and they have comics about everything, about baseball, about uh, about the, the, the teenage romance, about whatever. And everyone reads comics much more commonly than in the U.S. A lot of, I mean, as far as the U.S. market goes, I mean, we saw a big influx of of um, anime and manga becoming popular in the 90s, but nothing, mm-hmm. I mean, nothing from as far as foreign material has really caught hold with people on a in a big way. America tends to be for better or worse, for comics to land the superheroes. Right. Right. You know, and, and among people who who are comics fans, of course they know who the, who the great international people are and what those works are, but in terms of, like, catching hold in the mainstream, it doesn't really happen yet. Well, let's talk about, like, you have a, you run, you run a comic shop out there in, uh, I believe, North Hollywood that deals with, like, you deal with tons of comic book readers each week like, just curious, like, first question, what seems to be some of the popular titles that just people are just going crazy about these days? And as a follow-up, just when dealing with older comics, like we mentioned before, say, from, like, the 60s or earlier, what are some interesting, like, real, you know, gems that you have come across recently that you could share with us? Um, in terms of what my customers are reading, um, mm-hmm. I would say the biggest thing right now, my customers love and Saga from Image Comics. 
Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples have a new ongoing – it's been out about, about a year and a half, two years now it's been out. And it's a science fiction romance, and it's just a it's a gorgeous book that's really well written, and my customers can't get enough of it. I mean, the, 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 they want to know when the next is coming in. They'll then rebuy it again in the trade. They have customers who only buy the trades. They want to know when the next trade is coming. Saga has been the biggest probably – the biggest hit of the year since – or hit since we've opened our store. What is that? And, what is it, it about? and speaking to your point about science fiction, here's a science fiction book. It's not a superhero book. It's just a really good story, well told, and customers, your readers are always going to react to that. Right? Is it is it like a uh, is it like the Rocketeer and all those other ones? Like you know, like kind of romance, the love interest. I mean, what, what, well, it's, it's very much a space future? opera. It, it's very much okay. a space opera. So it's, it's there's no Earth. It's all other worlds, and it's mm-hmm. um it's. To uh, a man and a woman from opposing from opposing sides of an intergalactic war who fall in love, have a child, and are on the run from both of their armies, hmm. and it's just it's, it's, wow. the story of their lives. It's 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 so great, and the art is absolutely gorgeous. Wow, who does the art? Do you know? Do you know who it's does Fiona Staples. Oh, cool! Nice. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I remember her mostly from. I know she's. I'm sure she's done other things, but the thing I remember her more before uh, before Saga was a great book she did with the writer Steve Niles for IDW called I think it was The Mystery Society, which was I a great kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a great book, and I mean that was the first time I really noticed Fiona's work. Wow, that's 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 real. Wow, that's cool. This curious. What of, is uh, mm-hmm. well, in terms of the other question about about uh, vintage books. Uh, Blast off my shop. We tend to specialize in vintage books, so we we have we're always getting in new collections. We're always getting in new acquisitions. So I mean, we've got on any given day a little bit of everything in the shop. We've got Fantastic Four number one. We've got runs of like uh, runs of, of the the first run of Spider Man. Uh, we'll get we'll get runs of those EC comics I mentioned in every every now and then. Uh, a large collection of DC comics in the 40s and 50s. We've we with uh, vintage comics is really kind of what we do. It's what we specialize in. Do you ever get any, uh, like, the first appearance of Batman or, like, Tales of Suspense number 39 or any of those? Like, uh, we, have not gotten a detective, we haven't gotten a Detective 27 yet, the first Batman. Those those are really hard to come by. We've gotten we've gotten some Tales of Suspense. We've gotten that first Iron Man once or twice. How about the Amazing yeah. Fantasy uh, with the Spider-Man or any of those like that? An AF-15 has not come our way, but we did recently... We did recently um, we, uh, again, the, the first run of Spider-Man, the first ten issues came through the doors. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, just, just holding, holding that kind of history in your hand is, is kind of amazing, you know. To actually this, yeah, really. to realize that this, this, this was the book that was on the shelves in 1963 mm-hmm. is, is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a more serious note. I have a question pertaining to the, the universe of comics. You know, like, in my opinion, we live, like, in a complex world where there are, like, not only more people than ever, and the economic structure is, like, pretty bad, and resources are being used up accelerated. Do you think, perhaps, the reason, like, that comics in general may be more popular than ever is because, like, people, especially, like, the younger kids, like, the youngsters are looking for, like, a sense of hope and inspiration, like, governments and leaders have failed in that area? Like, what are your thoughts on that type of uh, spin on that? Well, I think comics have always been about escapism. And the thing, the thing that, that you know people often kind of need to be reminded is that we all think things are the worst they've ever been in the world, and people uh-huh. have been thinking that for the last hundred years or more, last right. thousand years. Everyone always thinks things are the worst, and then you wait fifty years and look back, and you know things are pretty good. 
But I do think mm. that is always part of the appeal of comics is, is escapism, is looking looking for. There's a reason why Superman has value. You know, Super, Superman is all about hope. There's a reason Spider-Man has value. Spider-Man is all about escaping from, trying to learn from your mistakes and and do better from them. So I mean, these lessons in comics. There's a reason that they these stories have become. American mythology is they they key into to themes that we can all relate to. Hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. On that. I agree with you on that. What about like like you got all the superheroes with superpowers, and you've got all the superheroes. Like we got Batman; he's not exactly like superpowers. You got, but do you, are there any like, for instance, based on characters that don't have superpowers over ones that do have like major laser beams and all that? What are some characters like? Just out of curiosity, they're obscure that that may be from days past or even more modern day that you could like like you know suggest people look into for more of inspiration on like the you know the not so superpower area. Um, well, I mean, a lot of the comics in the forties. Generally, you had Superman, who was like you know he had the whole he had the whole package. He had every every power. But a lot of the characters right. in in the forties, especially those from DC, which back then was called either National Comics or All American, it was like two sister companies, were kind of more what they called mystery men, where it was you know anybody would anybody would would get a mask and a kid sidekick and a, a costume and go out and fight crime. <laughs> so there, there were a lot more kind of vigilantes, like the, for example the, the original incarnation of the Sandman was a guy who would put on a, a, a gas mask and a cloak and a, a trench coat and a fedora, much in the, kind of in the way of the shadow. And he had a, he had a gas gun he would gas people with. Uh, and then later on, whenever um, the trend was much more toward colorful superheroes, they kept the Sandman, but they gave him a kid sidekick, took his, his uh, gas mask and, and hat away, and gave him tights and boots. And he was still the Sandman, but he looked like every other superhero on the market. Mm-hmm. But there's yeah, always been yeah. um, uh, the as far as uh, a character that most people today probably only know from one of the few bad movies, but is a mm-hmm. great example of a character that is just a guy is Will Eisner's The Spirit. Mm-hmm. Will Eisner's The Spirit is just a quasi-sanctioned vigilante who works with the police in this town, and he's just a guy with gloves and a mask who goes out at night and fights crime, and he's a detective. But what was great about it is Will Eisner did this strip not for comic books to be sold at the newsstands. It was a weekly mm-hmm. comic book, eight pages, that would appear in your newspaper every week, every Sunday. A separate piece, a separate comic book that would appear in your newspaper. And so Eisner had this venue to tell stories every week, and the newspaper didn't care what kind of story it was. He didn't really have an editor, per se, like he would at a, at a DC publisher or a Marvel publisher. Mm. So he could do whatever he wanted with it. So within the context of here's a, 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 a detective crime fire story, he would tell fancy stories. He would tell um, tragedies. He would uh, do some lighter-hearted uh, humor stuff. He would dip his toe into science fiction every now and then. And mm. uh, there's a reason that the Eisner Awards, which is like what we call the comic book Oscars, are named right. for the guy who created the spirit because the spirit comics are some of the best comics that have ever been created. Wow. So you're looking for good comics about a Batman style, just normal human um, hero. The spirit's the way to go, and you can find those books in hardcover. Huh. Well, I was curious. Have you heard any? I mean, you've been in the comic universe. Have you heard any like news that they may do like an adaptation to some kind of film or even independent fan project based on uh, Eisner's uh, The Spirit? Well, it was made into a, a big budget film a few years ago. Really? Yeah, Frank Miller. Frank Miller wrote and directed it on the heels of Sin City, 
and it flopped rather spectacularly. Oh, wow, I did not even know that. I know about Sin City. Yeah, because, wow. uh, because I mean, and, and the, I forget the actor who played the spirit, but I don't think he was a big name. But the the, uh, uh-huh. the villain was Samuel Jackson. So it was a uh-huh. it was a fairly big bunch of films. The problem was Frank Miller made it much more in the uh, the feel of his own work and not Adrian's work. So it looked uh-huh. and felt much like Sin City, which was really not what the spirit was about. Right. And wow. I don't think it's funny. I don't. I doubt moviegoers even knew enough about the spirit to know that it wasn't right. But regardless, they didn't like it. <laughs> it did not do well. <laughs> well. So it was filmed in a Frank Miller style, like the Sin City. Uh, yeah, like, totally. Or, with uh, the with the heavy CG, heavy use of blacks, heavy use of CGI environments, the the, the a single color against a monotone background. It very much looked like Sin City. Wow. Which was not uh, the material look. Right. Is it even worth like looking at from like just historical or is it really bad? Like you say it's really bad? Life's too short, man. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, there there are too many good movies out there that waste two and a half hours <laughs> on the spirit. Nice. Right. Well I was just curious, like another question, like you you you're dealing with the comics, like what are some of your personal favorites, like titles of your own, like choosing, like that you enjoy all the time? Um, I mean, uh, comics I've enjoyed reading or comics I've written? Well, uh, it could be both, but more, more importantly, like the ones you enjoy reading or the ones you oh, like oh, yeah. you grew for, up for, for me, my 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 big my big five tends to be, I mean, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' Watchmen. Ooh. That's always going to be on the list. Um, I'm a big Avengers fan, especially like the, there's our, they run Avengers by uh, Kurt Busiek and George mm-hmm. Perez is the artist. I love that run of Avengers. There's a book from DC Comics called Starman, written Starman. by James Robinson and drawn by first Tony Harris and then Peter Snedberg. And Starman is probably my single favorite comic of all time. And but Starman yeah. is about a second-generation superhero who doesn't really want to be a superhero but falls into the family business when his brother is killed in action. Hmm. And the the lead character Jack Knight, his his father was the first Starman from the 1940s, who, who was in a superhero team with the first Hawkman and the first Green Lantern and the first uh, the first um for the first Atom, and uh, he is drawn into this world of that his father was such a big part of that he never wanted to be, and he's just a guy like like you know he's just a, a guy like you or me, he's a slacker, he owns a collectible shop, all he wants to do is go look for rare toys and rare books. And live his life, and because he finds himself drawn into his father's life being a superhero, and slowly falling in love with it. Beautiful book, I love it. And it's one of those books that was actually given the chance to end, which doesn't happen much in comics. Usually, comics go on forever and ever. It's an 80 issue run, so the story has a beginning, middle, and an end. The whole thing is available in trades. So you can buy it six books to get the whole story. Fantastic. This done by uh, DC, I'm assuming. Or? It was DC, yes. Cool. A, what year is like? Is it sixty, seventy, eighty? No, it started. Well, Starman it started in ninety five and then ran eighty years. So that's about five years. Oh, that's so about two thousand. Uh, yeah, ninety five to about okay. two thousand two thousand one. Wow, wow. Well, curious, right quick. Uh, I know you mentioned uh, the Planet of the Apes Star Trek crossover uh, project. Are there any other projects that you're working on or getting ready to, uh, you know, put into production that you like to tell everybody about? Well, still in production right now is my other Star Trek series, is uh, City on the Edge of Forever. This is the series where we're adapting the original teleplay by Harlan Ellison to the most famous episode of Star Trek, City on the Edge, where the episode where Kirk and Spock go back to the 30s. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. And this is that Harlan Ellison's original teleplay was very different than the version we saw on screen. And so my brother and I are, are adapting it, and J.K. Woodward, who also was the artist on Star Trek Doctor Who, he's the, he's the artist on this project, and we're just adapting it exactly as if they had filmed his original script back in 1966. Wow. Was that the one and, that was script that he wrote? It was like like that he the the, the like the, the not produced script that he kind of disputed at with the Rod. Yeah, exactly. Or? It's a it's a legend, legend legendarily disputed script between he <laughs> and and Roddenberry, and I mean there 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 are there are benefits and good things about both. I'm not prepared to say one is better or worse than the other, but no, the mm. real story came from inside Harwin Ellison's mind, and this is what he conceived. Mm. Wow. And with That's three a- three issues that have come out so far. Uh, number four mm. will come out at the end of this month. Number f- and number five is just being completed. So that's still in the works. That's 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 undergoing right now. And then Star Trek: Planet of the Apes will begin in the first issue will hit in December, and we're we're in full production on that right now. That's that's what's taking up most of our time. Awesome, awesome. Are you going to go? That's, that's, uh, just that's good. Hmm? Okay. Oh, that's going to be fun because with Star Trek: Planet of the Apes, it's classic Star Trek, mm. and it's classic apes. So we get to have oh. it's it's William Shatner. Kirk, it's Charlton Heston, it's Doctor nice. Zayas, it's all the it's all the good stuff from the from the uh, all the original Apes movies. Which and I love the new Apes films. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I yeah, think they're, they're great, but but I grew up with the classics. So getting to use getting to use Charlton Heston in in, uh, in this thing is it meant a lot to me. So it's been it's been a lot of fun. That's awesome. I was just curious. I have a quick question. What you saw with Planet of the Apes? I don't know. If there's another film in the '90s with Mark Wahlberg. Didn't that get that great reviews? What was your opinion on that? Just curious. Being oh, Tim Burton. The, the Tim Burton <laughs> remake. It was. Ter- I love Tim Burton. Some of my favorite movies are Tim mm-hmm. Burton's, but he did yeah. not have a have a sense of what made those films work. You can't really have a Planet of the Apes movie where humans can talk. Right. Because it, it, you know, it, it upsets the whole balance. A big part of what makes Planet of the Apes so creepy is Charlton Heston gets to the planet. And you no know, apes are the are the dominant species, and humans are a little more than livestock. Mm-hmm. But in that in the uh, the uh, the Tim Burton remake, the humans could all talk too, and it, it, the, the dynamic is different. There, you can't. It's harder for the apes to be treating the humans as if they're livestock if they can talk back. I guarantee you, we would not be eating as many burgers if cows could say "stop it." <laughs> So, nice. so it was, and then the, the ending of that film was just was just a train wreck. They, they wanted they wanted to do a, a a big shocking ending like they had in the original, but they didn't really mm-hmm. think it through plot wise. So it just instead of leaving people shocked, everyone was just scratching their heads. Right, I remember it was yeah, like almost like a cliffhanger. Yeah, but it was a cliffhanger where I, where no one knew the cliff was there. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. So yeah, I would put the the uh, the Burton Planet of the Apes on a do not watch double feature with the spirit. Wow, wow, wow. Well, as, <laughs> well, we have a, we have a little bit of time left in the show. Um, right quick, are there any website links or information that you like to give out for the listeners to find out more about like your comics and various oh, things? Oh sure. I mean, uh, we're at blastoffcomics.com. Dot com is the website, and the site, and also on that site we have new content pretty much every day. Myself and some of my writers write, talking about current comics, talking about the history of comics. So there's always new information, new new columns, new new opinions to be read on blastoffcomics.com. And then we also have a very active Facebook page where we're always you know, uh, posting links and photos of what's going on in, in the world of comics. And then you can uh, I can be reached at uh, on Twitter at Scott underscore Tipton. There you go. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, Scott, it was a pleasure having you on the show, man. I really enjoyed our discussion, buddy. 
All right. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. You're most welcome. You take care, man. Thanks a lot. This is Owen Cotter thanking you for listening to Sci Fiction Radio. Don't forget to visit our website at www.scifiction.com.